Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1064. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Good evening, guys. I did gardening today. <laughs> big, big night. The only thing that happened. Yeah, we're not, the only we're thing not that happened here to tonight. talk about gardening. Only, big night. Not. No, other big things happened. Yeah, Heather the, and I ate dinner in front of the TV, which uh, brought us back to the you know 1970s with TV dinners. You remember TV dinners, Corey? Oh, those were great. With the I mean, gravy. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm going to level with you, Stephen. I'm much younger. He's not oh, that really? old. And Annalise is younger than me. So yeah. we don't know what you're talking about here. Oh, yeah. You guys don't know what life really feels like without the, the tin plate. The tin plate on the on the TV table. That was great. That was great. Yeah. Oh, so okay. when you were watching political debates in the 1970s yeah. uh, in front of your uh, radiating television, yeah. let me ask you, did you ever did you ever sort of get the energy that this debate gave here? No. Like, how are you feeling about this? This, this was different. Uh, first of all, in the old old days, um, we we didn't let women do the debates with us, right? Because oh Jesus, it was a we were a sexist society in the 1970s, Corey. I don't know if you know that, but we've grown out of it now. So uh, it was different, and also oh, we've grown out of it. Oh okay. yeah, totally. Bold, it, bold yeah. words. It's all done. Bold, we've, Stephen Carter. Very Carter's bold words. No, no. <laughs> Stephen Carter. Sexism, sexism's <laughs> over. Racism's done. I mean. All society's ills have basically been solved, and that's why I watched today's debate with just nothing but optimism. Corey, today was nothing but optimism. So it's what, almost yeah. like we should fact check what uh, what Stephen Carter is saying there. Hold on, do you think that you somebody know, might lie when they're in a performance venue like like like? I don't think people would lie. Not when truth matters. Not when truth matters, Annalise. Truth does matter. Yeah. 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 And we have much truth to talk about this evening, guys. We're we're gonna talk about the debate. We're uh, okay. we've got we've got a lot of things to talk about debate wise. Um first question, and we'll start with you, Corey Hogan. Initial impressions. Where where is your head at? It ended uh not long ago. You look a little confused. What what are you thinking? I'm thinking I'm a little confused. I it's interesting. There's a lot of ways you can look at a debate and you can try to put on the hat of an undecided voter and how they might be reacting to it. You can put it on the professional hat and how you kind of score the communications points, the policy points. And I don't know, the different hats I can wear, I have different reactions depending on which one I decide to put on at the moment. And I, I guess I'll just throw a couple of them on the table here. I kind of feel like Danielle Smith was the most polished and her delivery was very strong. And and that almost suggests to me that a low information voter is going to give it to Danielle Smith. And I kind of think Rachel Notley did a pretty good job of maybe not necessarily delivering the lines, but presenting the lines, the lines that you think can be repackaged and used in the commentary after and clipped for television and all of that. And and ultimately, I think so much of what happens in a debate actually happens after the debate. And I think there's reason for Rachel Notley to, you know, maybe get a higher score than my initial, you know, neutral Smith wins uh, comments might offer. And then there's the third part of me, which I like to think is the me me, who is is thinking, what the fuck are we doing yeah. here? I mean, this is this is not a normal day. This is a day where the premier was, uh, you know charged effectively by the ethics commissioner as having broken ethics laws. And there's a certain surreal surreality that is floating over all of this that makes any kind of scoring of points seem seem kind of weird, frankly. And I, I think that's the thing that I am 
That's the source of the confusion you see on my face, Annalise. I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to think about today. Well, lots, lots to unpack there, Corey. Many questions, including, is a low-information voter watching the debate? Did your expectations tank your thoughts? But before we get into all that, Stephen Carter, what are your, uh, what are your initial impressions after sitting in your living room, eating your dinner, watching the debate? Well, I think I think the first thing is that Danielle Smith, someone who's been on television uh, for 20 years, um, is good on television. Uh, she she presents really well on TV. Um, I, I think it's a little bit tricky that her script is entirely fiction um, instead of nonfiction. But, you know, you call me a stickler. Um, but I, you know, I, I was very frustrated by the lies, right? And it's interesting to me watching the media already jump onto her, especially Corey brought up the, the, the uh, ethics commissioner report today where, where, you know, she very much concluded that, uh, that Smith had broken the law. And the, the very first question for the media is why are you lying about that in the debate? Because Smith did what she did with almost the entire debate. And that is lie about it. And she said that basically she was cleared by the ethics commissioner when she she very clearly was not right. And then the ethics commissioner has reserved sanction for when Smith comes back. That's not a usual practice for those following along at home. Reserving sanction for the end of an election is not a usual practice. Um, but here we are. And, and Danielle Smith was so casual with her lies, so comfortable with her lies that I, I really struggled to watch it. Like Corey had all those different people watching it. Uh, and by the way, let's put it a note that we should be probably investing in some mental health services for the strategist writ large. Um, Corey's obviously got multiple personality disorder and I'm going to be so depressed by the end of this thing. Um, <laughs> so not appropriate, yeah. but go on. <laughs> we, 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 we're very mental <laughs> just, health supportive. Just hidden with him, Carter. Oh wow. God, guys don't understand <laughs> wow, me. You guys don't understand me. Uh, I'm very sympathetic. Here's the thing. Um, I didn't like the debate. I did not enjoy watching the debate because I don't like some one person um, lying and winning and another person telling the truth and losing. And that just makes me, it makes me angry because how do you win a debate with someone who is just committed to the lies? And I've got a list of them because I was taking notes and we can go through them uh, later in the, in the episode. Yeah, we can go through them later, Corey. It looks like you want to say something important. Well, look, I, it's funny because, again, I mean, if I can shut off different parts of my brain, either intentionally or accidentally here, in some ways, this was a wonderful debate, like a really great debate. Mm -hmm. you, had, you had people talking quickly, thinking sharply, and they were responding to each other back and forth in a way that you often lose in the three, four, five-person debates that we're usually used to in this country here. And... Stephen's not wrong. Like, I, I mean, it, it, there is not a rapid, instant pop-up video style fact-checking in a debate like this. And I think the more you're willing to play with the boundaries of truth, the more you can get away with it, because you know that a lot of people will just never bother going to the fact-checking. And, and so that is problematic, but it gets back to what debates are good at telling you and what debates are not good at telling mm -hmm. you. And ultimately... Man, I don't want to editorialize too much, and I don't think I feel as strongly as Stephen does on some of this, but debates are not great great displays of character. They're just simply not. <laughs> and um, you know what they are good at is telling you if somebody has a command of files, if they're quick-witted. And uh, in this case, I think both candidates came off as, as fairly quick-witted in different ways. You know, Danielle Smith, very polished. Rachel Notley is very wonkish. And, you know, sometimes you could tell that 
her her mouth was or her thoughts were ahead of her mouth or I don't know what you want to say, but like there there seemed to be a disconnect there. And but um yeah, I mean it's tough to say that it was a good debate when you have kind of foundational challenges with it. And you know, Stephen has a foundational challenge around truth. I have a foundational challenge around why are we pretending this is a normal day, right? Like this is not a normal day. Yeah. So on on that note though, Corey, what what the news came out this morning from the ethic commissioner with strong language, by the way, like words like threat to democracy, um, yeah. very strong language. And we can get into that, but that comes out this morning. <laughs> Debate is scheduled for tonight, Thursday before a long weekend. Yeah. You're saying it's treated as a normal day. How do you suggest it should have been treated when the debate was scheduled? Yeah. And I get it. Like you're on a track and it's the safe play to treat it like a normal thing. But I think ultimately, even if today hadn't happened, even if we didn't have the ethics commissioner, I think in a way, one of Rachel Notley's challenges here, I might even go so far as to say it as a mistake, was treating this as a normal debate because that's not how she's treated anything else about this election in terms of her party's response, her responses to the various things that Danielle Smith has done, the comparisons to Nazis, the healthcare comments, the, um, you know, as recently as today, the the candidate of the UCP who, boy, like just in the last couple of days, this has happened too, where, uh, you know, compared transgender children to feces and cookie batter. Like, holy shit. I actually can't think of like a grosser thing there. But here's what I got to say. There has been an inconsistency in the presentation of the stakes that was never more apparent to me than in this debate. Right. You you can't be talking about like these dire states. This is not normal. We are in such deeply abnormal times. And then have actually almost an archetypical debate with the person. I, I think at a certain point, it almost demanded the moment, more so than we got, of saying, this is not normal, right? This is a crazy day. We had a prime, or a prime minister, a premier, interfere in justice, be found to interfere in justice on behalf of a racist extremist, which, you know, mm-hmm. to Rachel Notley's credit, she did make comments along those lines. And, and now we're just sitting here saying like, you know, healthcare, obviously it's more than money. How would you deal with healthcare in a, you know, in a general sense that doesn't have to do with what the fuck does that tell me at a moment like this? Like in a funny way, as much as anything, I hold the moderators to it. Like, did they just say, wow, this was a crazy day, but I guess we're going to do the same debate. It's weird to me. But, but, you know, but there's also like the mistake that was made, right? Was that on Rachel Notley. First, you cannot, if you're going in, if you're one of these political leaders, you can't ask the moderators to fix it for you. You can't ask the your competitor to fix it for you. You have to fix it for yourself. Why wasn't she doing a, a quick, they had note paper, they had pens. Why wasn't she doing a quick lie count? And and then say, uh, uh, you know what, Danielle, it's eight minutes in and I've counted, I've, I've seen, I've caught you in seven lies already. Uh, we're going to lie, uh, lie a minute. Is, is that what's going to be for the rest of the for the rest of this thing? She gets the Good line. she gets half the fucking line in about. Do you really want to talk about your candidates? Is that really what you want to do? What the fuck is that? Talk about her candidates. Talk about the person who is you know just kind of. Well, if she wins, she's not going to be able to sit in her caucus. What does that actually mean, Danielle? Does that mean for the entire? For your term, or is it just for a little while until such time as you deem that you need her? Um, this is there. There was no bloodlust from from Notley to try and actually, you know, go after Red, uh, Redford, go after Smith on the actual sins that she's committed 
in the last little while. And there's been many. Today's stuff about Shandro, today's stuff about the ethics commissioner, uh, today's little piece of trying to suspend this candidate, that's just today. That's just today. Yeah, that's she, just one day. You know, yeah. like, yeah, it would have required her to be on the ball and to make some no- changes in her notepad. But, you know, the, the core of... You know, Smith's going to lie. How are we going to counter Smith lying? That's a fairly well-known piece uh, in debating uh, in debating Smith. And also a well-known piece is, say, is Smith saying, oh, I get to walk away from everything that I said in the past. You know, if you get to walk away from everything you said in the past, then I'm walking away from everything that I've done in the past. Or, you know, like she wouldn't say it like that, but... How can I get to be held to, to account, says Rachel Notley, for my past performance and you who's just recently commit you know said these things i mean she said it once but she should have been saying it every time smith tried to get her on uh on a past performance issue i was just very frustrated sitting at home watching you know going back to Corey's and my comments last in the last episode the patreon special still available if you want to put your money forward um in that episode, we were talking about pacing the floor and, and and the nerves of that particular day, and I was certainly feeling it today. I I was very uh, tight through the shoulders watching this. It just didn't, was not a happy day. Yeah, well, look, I, I want to rewind a bit because I... I kind of dwelled a bit in how I personally feel the absurdity of this day, yeah. but if you're if you are that voter at home, that undecided voter, I think your feeling about the thing is is very different, right? I, and I think even if you're a partisan for one of the organizations, you've got lots to think your candidate won for. I'm sure both the UCP and NDP camps are celebrating their quote-unquote victories tonight, right? Uh, because And to be fair, both of them have reasons to. Smith performed really well. There was no knockout punch, that's for sure, uh, on her, at least not in the moment. Often those things don't become clear until after the fact and the way it's packaged. And, you know, maybe it becomes a massive deal that she said she's a non-lawyer, right? And that becomes like the thing we all remember about this. Maybe it becomes a massive deal that she had that throat clearing fit at a certain point. Like, it's really tough to say at the yeah. moment what the big deal is. Maybe it becomes a massive deal that Rachel Notley sort of sputtered through some of her answers. Like, you've just got to sort of wait and see how this falls out. But in the moment, I think each of the camps was provided the raw components to allow them to craft a victory. Because victory, again, is not just craft in the moment. It's just craft as much after the fact. And it will be fascinating to see what happens over the next couple of days. What, what about that expectation piece, though, that we talked about a lot in the last um, the last episode about the different expectations going in? You know, this was Rachel Notley's second debate, um, this or third debate, sorry. Third debate, yeah. This was this was Smith's second. And mm-hmm. I think that expectation we had discussed about, like, Smith just needs to not say something stupid and that can be a win. Like now looking, the debate has happened. How do you think that lines up with the conversation we had about expectations? I think that she, you know, in terms of expectations, she exceeded them. Smith exceeded the expectations. She, she is great on camera. I mean, did you see her focus on that camera? She, she knew which, she's really comfortable. Which, which camera's hot. She knew exactly which camera to look at. And, and I don't know how, the NDP team did not prepare Rachel Notley for there's going to be a hot camera and we want you looking at the hot camera. There's going to be a two shot and there's going to be a single shot. You need to be able to figure out which of those two cameras is on. Here's how you tell one of the lights is red. The red light is the one that you look at, right? Like it's not a complex idea and she should know how to do that. And the fact that she didn't, 
Don't I mean me. You know that it's, this matters. Don't not. I will come over there. I know where you live. <laughs> in Che. I think it's. In Che. In Che. In che. Yeah. It's sometimes harder than it sounds. And, and it's not. if somebody's struggling with it, you don't necessarily want to over-program them. I don't know if those things are as damning as sometimes we treat them to be. Yeah, they are. And at least to your question, though. Did she? She did not say something that was evidently stupid in the moment. In my opinion, I, I'm sure people will disagree and they'll argue and say no, like her, those comments were bad. Those other comments were bad. But again, a lot of this has to do with how aggressive the media gets after the fact and says, like, "Hey, you said you were cleared by the ethics commissioner." And uh, sorry, let me just read you the conclusion. Yeah. In my opinion, Premier Smith contravened Section 3 of the Conflicts of Interest Act. Well, that really doesn't sound like cleared to yeah. me. Does that sound like cleared to either of you no. two? And That's I reserve an the right also. to impose <laughs> sanctions. That doesn't sound good. Yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> no. It does not. That, that reminds me of getting grounded when I was a kid. You just wait till your father gets home. Ah, trouble. Well, and the and the point is, if people really latch on to that, yeah. just really clever to death with something that was clearly a falsehood and and hold on to it and don't let go of it we're going to think about that statement did she say something stupid very differently than if everyone says well on to the next thing and moves on to the next thing so again i'm just going to go back i don't want to sound like a broken record but so much of what we think of a debate is being formed now you, as like we're we are even part of that forming of the debate we are but, really like, the there's going to be conversation we're really Cor- Corey, so. do you yeah. think do you think it's a little different this time though when you say like moving on to the next thing because we're what i don't know how many days in we are 17 16 and like there's been a new thing every day like we've we've discussed yeah. that on here that we don't have time to let things breathe or dissect them or let them happen because then there's another thing, then there's another lie, then there's another controversy. So in this case, we're going into a long weekend. Do you think we'll see people paying attention and caring or are we going to have another, you know, hot topic to discuss in a day or two? It's tough to say. Uh, I Certainly the track record of this campaign has been something else is just around the corner. Something else is always around the corner. Sometimes it's planned. Sometimes it's a wildfire. You know, we just don't know. And uh, we are at a weird particular moment with the, the long weekend coming up. But I think on balance, if I were the NDP, what would make me very excited tonight are those opportunities. Because certainly... There were a couple of things that I, I we could look back on in a week and say, well, that was a real trap Smith set for herself there, you know, on, on some of the comments that she made uh, that you can poke at. And I, we already have talked specifically about the one where, um, you know, she said she was cleared by the ethics commission. I mean, she was most certainly not cleared mm-hmm. by the ethics commissioner. I, I've rarely seen spin of that. I mean, that's not even, I don't even know how to call that spin. It's not it's just spin. not what happened. It's just a straight up lie. It's not and, what and, happened. And the media, yeah. <laughs> the media said, why are you lying? Right. Why are you yeah. lying? And, and Smith's answer was, I divided that into three sections and I was just referring to one of them. Well, you, you know, God, that, that's, that's going to be tricky. The media, the media is going to hold her to account. I think that that's the good news for the, uh, for the uh, NDP because the, the NDP didn't win like, a clear knockout that does leave the field open for the, for the media to come in and tilt the field a little bit. And and they do these things, not because they're, they're supporters of the UCP or supporters of the, uh, uh, of the NDP, but because they want fairness at the end of the day, the media is interested in fairness and being, uh, being up there on stage and just lying your ass off isn't fair. And the media will correct. 
Yeah, but but on on that media front, and we've talked about it again and again on this podcast, like the shrinking the shrinking media. But in this case, Carter, could you not could you not pull up Rick Bell? Oh, what 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 do his headlines say today? Ethics probe: Daniel Smith, good news and bad news. Like, how do you frame that ethics probe as good news? Oh, two columns today. Next one, Bell. After the debate, Daniel Smith is still standing and winning. Like, if if you have a if you have a premier standing on stage saying, "Oh, this wasn't that bad," lying about it, and then you have a columnist who's also saying ethics probe, good news, and that's where you're getting your information from. Like, how how do you that that kind of truth and that lying? How do you deal with it when you can't just depend on quote unquote the media? To correct Rick, it. Rick Bell's horrible. I mean, what are you going to do? David Staples me next? I mean, David Staples, Rick Bell, these aren't columnists. These aren't people who, I mean, sure, they write columns, but they're not people who ha- who are approaching things with an honest approach to the information that they're, they're writing about. They're writing with an agenda. Um, that agenda is supported by their their employers. And, uh, and it is also supported by the readers who buy their newspapers. So, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, it, it's no different than going to, to Ezra Levant's rebel. I mean, Ezra Levant, noted legal expert, um, is, is in the story on this. What do you think he's going to say? Well, you know, I'm in the story where I should probably rely on my journalistic integrity and pull myself out of covering this. He's absolutely not. That's just not in his wheelhouse. And it's not in Rick Bell's wheelhouse to not, you know, take the spin that he's given by his, his, his masters. And, uh, you know, I'm just impressed that it's kind of like a, a fairly decent size sentence structure. You know, well done, Ricky. Yeah, calm, well calm down, down Ricky. Like, you're, you're such an ass sometimes. No, like I'm not the- an ass. First of all, Rick's not a real journalist. I think we can agree on that. Just the fact that he's- Well, he's a columnist. He's a columnist. Not but, a journalist. Yeah. That's what I just said. No, you're going to keep he, repeating what I say. <laughs> oh, you know? okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, great. Wonderful. The truthiness of your statement was yeah, spot on. Here's the thing. There's no doubt there are people who are going to be blind to certain parts of the argument and very receptive to other parts. That's the nature of partisanship. It's a hell of a fucking drug, right? I mean, we're all subject to it to a certain extent when the things we want, we can decide to foreground or background them depending on the worldview that we want to have supported here. Yeah. But there are some fundamental base facts at play here. And I do tend to be one of these people who thinks that the universe does bend towards justice long term. And the fact is, if you handed that uh, that opinion by the ethics commissioner to a thousand people who had never heard of Alberta, never heard of Alberta, never heard of conservatives, never heard of new Democrats. You know, they just, they're like, what? I don't care about the politics in your stupid country, right? A thousand of those thousand would come to the conclusion that the premier contravened the ethics commission act. Like nobody would be like, oh, my big takeaway here is that, yeah, she didn't call the prosecutors directly. So she's in the clear. That's that's bonkers stuff. And so it just becomes really hard to defend that position over the long term. But Corey, do you really like do you really believe that? Because we're we're living in a time when there is bonkers stuff like there's people whose houses are burning down in the wildfires who think that Justin Trudeau started the fires or think that they're a global conspiracy. Like, do you, do you really think a thousand people looking at that would come to that conclusion? I I mean, I do, if they didn't have a dog in the fight again, like this is an important part of it, but ultimately it's not, it's not that confusing in black and white. The ethics commissioner said premier Smith contravened the act. Like that is literally the words in the conclusion there. And so to suggest the literal opposite 
is not a defensible position. It, it simply is not. And they're going to have to find a different ground to walk on, and their supporters are going to have to find different arguments to carry out to the community, because all it's going to take no, is but they, like... they won't. They don't need to, because they brazen... You know, you and I would need to, because you and I would feel shame lying like that. They don't feel shame. They just lie. And they justify no. it by saying the other guys lie too. And... I just hate that. You know what? I hate this they business. Like this, these are not subhumans. These are people, complex individuals who actually are capable of shame, Stephen. Who? And it's who a little harder. Who are you talking harder. about? Describe who you're talking the, about. Which which of them? I am talking about the supporters of political parties that would otherwise jump on board and say that this is an argument that I'm. Willing I'm talking to give. about the politicians themselves. I'm talking about if 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 Rachel not or if uh, Danielle Smith does not feel shame, she will continue to do what she's doing, which is lie. And I don't feel like I think that she's said I'm going to do the same thing that Trump has done, and I am not going to feel shame when I lie. I'm going to take these things that I wish were true, and I'm going to will them into life. By pretending that they are true. Well, I, you know, I just don't think that's going to work because there's just not enough people to carry it forward. The difference between this and your wildfire example is your wildfire example is bonkers. There are people who think that Trudeau, you know, caused the fires and all of these things. But the simple reality, I just, I want to be so clear on this point. Trudeau did not cause the fires. Nobody misquote me on this. But none of us were there when the fires were started. So it at least gives them something to start rooting their conspiracy in. This is black and white. This is the ethics commissioner said versus what somebody is saying the ethics commissioner said. It's not very hard to put the source material in front you of you. You have to read the report. And and David Staples and Rick Bell and the propagandists, and we have so many propagandists now, will not re, you know will not copy that piece of the report. They will do what what Smith has told them to do, which is divide the report into thirds. And when you look at this one third with your eye half closed, she was cleared. Right? She was, I mean, and the worst part is it's like it's not even a clearing. It's like I didn't find evidence of this. That's not the same thing. Yeah, I know. But- you and I are on the same page. You and I, though, we are the heartless liberals. Okay. That's uh, bold. Okay. Bold. okay. It's we bold could, for could, Thursday night. We could talk about uh, the fact check stuff for, for hours. Let's move on to a few other things. We talked last time about kind of like the body language, outfits, that sort of thing. Uh, outfits. They were both wearing blue. Good thing. Bad thing. Um, blue's a great color on camera. Uh, both of them popped. Uh, it's unfortunate both of them showed up in blue, but you know, I mean, I, I don't think we'd be noticing, uh, two men in blue suits in the same way, but it's a different color blue, but nonetheless, it's still, uh, it was unfortunate they were both in the same thing, but they look, they both looked really good. Corey, your fashion advice. Yeah, it's a blue blazer. It's a classic look you can take from the office meetings to dinner out with friends and family. Who's going to complain about a blue blazer? Yeah, good, Blue blazer good fashion, is fun to say. Blue blazer. <laughs> blue blazer. Blue blazer. When you said that. What, what, what about the body language? Carter, you had talked last time about the hands on the head with Redford practice. How, how would you rate both of their body language? And I mean, you've both, you've both mentioned, and I think everyone watching, like Dan, Daniel Smith is very comfortable in that TV environment. She did it for years. Yeah, I mean, she was very comfortable. Uh, Notley kept talking to people in the room. She would talk to Smith. She would talk to the the hosts, and then she would sometimes talk to the to the camera. I mentioned this earlier. This is a problem with this, right? You need to pick your audience and you need to focus on them. You know, it, it, and they they weren't successful in doing that. That automatically made 
Because because she didn't move her head a lot. She moved her eyes a lot. And when you move your eyes, you look shifty. That is just that's good that point. is how you look. And it's very difficult to say, well, you know, that's not what she was intending to be. I mean, she was just trying to look at it doesn't matter what she intends. Body language is subconscious. People are going to look at her and think she looks shifty. That's just that's the way it was. The rest of the body language. One thing that I'm, I'm throwing into body language, I'm not sure if it fits here, but I'm going to throw it in anyways. It was uh, not Lee's hair. It was constantly moving to her face. And um, that's tricky because you don't want something covering your face. Now, I'm not saying pull it back in a ponytail, but it, it's tricky when you have what, long what, hair. What are you saying? What's your hair you, advice, Carter? When you have long hair, you need to make As sure that As you would it, know so well. I was just, yeah. I had long hair <laughs> in university. And I did a lot of shows in university. And if you have long hair, you are not able to be as expressive with your face. And people, again, if the if the hair is covering your face, people think you are hiding something. That is a subconscious reaction to hair in the face, period. Her hair came into her face. I'm not a hairstylist. I'm not telling you what to do. I am a person who studies body language, who understands what body language means. And hair in the face isn't great when you're trying to communicate with a large, large group of people. Okay, what, what are your other body language tips there, Carter? Oh, that's it. I, I thought the rest of the body language is actually fairly strong. Both of them look like leaders to me. Corey, your take? Yeah, to expand on Stephen's point, one of the challenges with looking at other people in the room is it is fundamentally, uh, it's mistargeting who your audience is. Your audience is not the moderator. Your audience is not Daniel Smith, and you should be speaking to your audience. Uh, and Daniel Smith did a great job of this. Stephen's exactly right. She seemed to know exactly what camera was on. Again, not that hard because there is a red light on it, and she focused on uh, on the camera accordingly. Stephen Harper did this all of the time too. You know, everybody else in those five person debates would be looking at each other, talking to each other, and he would just straight at the camera. I am talking to Canadians. Very powerful when done right. Can look a little weird when done wrong, but Danielle Smith did it right. Like she figured it out, and she she managed it very very well. The um, the other thing about body language, though, is. And again, I don't know if I would put this in body language, but I'm going to throw it on the table here is they both started with, and I get it. It's a debate. I would be the same, but like with such a nervous energy and there needed to be, they both needed to find their calm a little bit faster than they did. But I think it was particularly, um, you know, I think present in Rachel Notley's speech, because I, as I already said, sort of saw racing, you know, this idea of, your thoughts are a little bit ahead of your mouth and and nothing is quite lining up the way that you necessarily want it. And just as she got on in the debate, as she got slower, she got better. And it's, it's something that she could have found a little bit sooner, I think. And unfortunately, she stepped on a couple of her good lines just by not getting them out perfectly because she had those nerves and she got a little ahead of herself. But but there's ways to to diminish those, right? Like a, a pitcher doesn't just walk onto the mound and start pitching baseballs, right? Like they do a warm-up in the bullpen. And my fear is that in the green room, you know, they did not get the appropriate the appropriate warm-up. I'm sure they were doing things like, like what are the top lines? Let's focus on the lines. They weren't doing breath work. They weren't doing timing speech, right? They weren't, fig- you know, you can do things 
to actually control how many words come out per minute. You can do things to make sure that you are, your diaphragm is working so that your, your language comes out better. You can do things to make sure that you are, you know, you don't sweat about the words. The words don't matter on your speech. What matters is your confidence. But she got lost on a single word. And when you lose a single word, the whole thing goes off track. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm a music. I play music. I'm not a musician. You're a musician. And, you know, and one you do of it all. the things. You do it all. Just do anything you don't do it all. Corey. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things you learn pretty quickly is that it is much better to plow through an error than to stop and repeat yourself and correct the error. Yeah. Because the sense of rhythm is so important to to the appreciation of the audience, right? And, and to the person who's listening to the music. And that's true of speech as well. The minute you have to kind of go back and correct yourself, it feels more ungainly than if you just plow through the mistake, you say the wrong word, you don't draw attention to it, and you just move on with your fucking life. And unfortunately, because in a debate, you're often trying to get those package moments. You're trying to get your line out. You want the line to be correct. Your desire to correct the record is very strong. And I think we saw both candidates suffer from that at certain points in the debate. And it's just not the right play, right? You just move through it and you say the line again if you need to at a later point. If your goal is to get the clip, just repeat yourself. Who cares? How how did you think having just the two of them changed it? We talked about last time, this is the first um, time where it's been just two leaders on stage. How how did that, and we can kind of get into like the format and if it was rushed and the yeah. questions, but just the, the two of them on stage, how, how do you think that changed things? Well, number one, it gave them exactly who they needed to focus on, right? Like they knew exactly who they had to focus on. I really liked that. And the second piece is they'd made the decision through the negotiations that they weren't going to speak over each other. And it actually made it an enjoyable debate. I actually heard the words that were being uttered. I heard, you know, I heard from one candidate. I heard from the other candidate. It was actually uh, an informative debate. I mean, I didn't necessarily like each of the answers. Um, but if you were coming into this debate as a relatively you know, unprepared watcher, um, you would have learned quite a bit about each of the party's policy, you know, platforms and such, because they enabled communication and having just two people uh, made it so much easier for that. I, I, I actually quite enjoyed that format of, of debate and uh, you know, it, it made it so much better and, and the no talking over, uh, was fantastic. And just for the record, that can also be done uh, in multi-person debates. And I hope that uh, people watching tonight in other parts of the country um, recognize that this is just better, better TV, better, uh, better for democracy than the shit show that we've gotten used to uh, recently. I mean, you say that, but you also said earlier, like, the lies were driving you crazy. I, I, and I'm not trying to, like, call you out or blow up your spot here, but I think this is one of the things that I'm challenged with in this debate, is that, I, like I said at the start, I think the format, in many ways, was great. Really great format. Yeah. But, um, but when there is no breath, when there's no, like, you're on, the next person's on, you're on, the next person's on. It's like when we do this podcast and there's just the two of us. Yeah, not as good. Uh, you know, how not as good you know sometimes yeah. you, need you need that moment in. to kind of process and think but there yeah. was hosts yeah. and and i don't know i i don't know how you process this podcast but i listen to what you say i think about how wrong you are and then i correct you on how wrong <laughs> you are. and and rachel notley could have done uh, 
done with a little of that, right? She could have done with, if Rachel Notley had just simply said, you know what, I should probably listen to Danielle Smith. And when she says something that's loony, I should say, wow, that was loony. And then move into my own answer. Um, but instead, she she didn't do that. She doesn't listen to the podcast enough. I, you know, all these times we've been referring <laughs> to Rachel and Lou, she's not actually listening. It's very upsetting because if she'd listened, uh, she could listen to me destroy you essentially in a in a debate over and over and over again. Would Three times great. a week. Corey Car- a week. Carter's brought it up a couple of times, um, his idea of like counting the lies, like that sort of shtick. Does, mm-hmm. does something like that, you're the comms guy, does it a shtick like that work to get the point across you know it can and actually it allows you if it's done right to create a bit of a shorthand so just imagine at like question at the eight minute mark i'm going to use steven's exact answer of like wow seven lies in eight minutes here and you can even say like i think everyone at home make sure you're googling or or something along those lines here but by calling it out that first time you know you can almost the minute she's talking and yeah it's breaking the rules of the debate but Stephen, just start talking. I'll, I'll give an example. Well, I'm going to talk about how she, what she could have done is so she could have referred to the NDP war room and said the war room will be putting well, out a fact 10. check. That's 10? Well, anyways, I mean, the war room will be putting out a fact check. Now it's 11. Hey, can I, can I speak? Oh, sure. Yeah, I want to sound intelligent. Oh, you're not going to hit with that's 12? <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. I kind of no, you want. I could have expected you want to. I wanted you to catch me with the low hanging fruit there. I gave you. I gave it to you. It's, you know. Yeah, I know. You don't like the. Yeah. You don't like those easy ones. Okay. Anyways, Annalise, I'm handing it back to you. Yeah, but just kind of break her sound bites, and you've created a shorthand for the honest. Yeah, it's fucking annoying, and people will be mad at you, but you'll but break her fine. flow. And, that's and you fine. get the yeah, point and across. It, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in in terms of questions, the two the two moderators and then questions from journalists, format, time. What are your thoughts there? I guess do you think it was um, too short? Yeah, I well, when we last talked about it, I thought it was two hours because one of the newscasts was running two hours, but apparently only one hour of debate. That that really actually almost made me anxious. How much people felt like they were both talking fast, they were both trying to get their words in, and it probably would have benefited just have a little bit more time for a little bit more back and forth along those lines there. And I get why it was an hour because there's only two of them. But in a funny way, it's like we've been complaining about how little time everybody gets at the hour and a half debate, two hour debates when there's five. And when there's not, we just divide the time in two. Like, why wouldn't we have resolved the challenge we used to have? Yeah, but this isn't necessarily just because, you know, of the performers. It's not just because of the, the method all, you know, like, uh, this is actually a deeper question, and that is, these the the news networks, the the news consortium didn't want to lose uh, an hour of prime time. They didn't want to lose uh, Wheel of Fortune or whatever comes on at seven o'clock. Um, the, that advertisers pay for, and uh, that's how they pay. You know, that's how they make their money. They're not making their money on airing a debate. There's no money in a debate. And two hours of a debate means they lose two hours of revenue. One hour of a debate means they only lose one hour of revenue. And that's why it's an hour. That's why it starts at six o'clock instead of at eight. Right? It starts at six o'clock because, and you made this point, Corey. I'm quoting you. It's at six o'clock because then it's over the news hour. And that's their local news requirement. And, um, you know, these guys are all trying to make money. I don't begrudge them that. But let's not... Let's not forget as this thing goes along that that's a factor in terms of why we don't get the debate that we want. Did you guys see any ads when you were when you I was were watching, watching the well, Seeb? I, 
Yeah, me too. Okay. Uh, watch CBC. So I saw Rob Brown and Janet Brown, and yeah, they they gave their analysis. Just the, just the you know, they Browns. don't look like brother and sister. They're uh, not brother and sister. They're, they're not. Yeah, <laughs> they're no. not. Common common last name, Stephen Carter. Really yep. uh, interesting. Wh- what about the uh, the openings and the closings? How did you think they? Uh, how how would you rate both of their performances there? Um, we've already covered Rachel's kind of f- little mini flub on the on the on the line. I don't think that was that big a deal. It was frustrating for her and frustrating for me, but you know, it's, it's gonna. It was mostly forgotten. I think that the problem with the opening and the closing is that those are the opportunities to set what your actual agenda is going to be as you talk about it. I thought both of them were well written, but what I actually pro- my problem is that there weren't enough stories, and the story could have been so easily set up in the in the uh, opening and closing, and and instead of doing stories. Um, they spoke of policy, and policy is boring, and stories are interesting. The one story that that uh, uh, Notley did was really good. You know, the young girl in the classroom with the hand up, yeah, yeah. really solid oh, story. Yeah. And it's like, man, you you have that gear. Why are you using it exactly one time in the most important debate of your life? Right, like this is. It was ridiculous, but and and that I mean, I thought her closing was stronger than her opening, but. You know, both of them are, those things are so easy. They're, they're written. It's, it's done. They've rehearsed them. It's almost like dispose of those and focus on the actual debate. Cause I think that that's how the uh, voter views it. Okay. Well, well yeah. I think I we're think, talking about it for one minute, not 40 minutes. Yeah, Carter. Exactly. Well, Corey, what did you think of the well, opening and closing? I thought they were, I, I agree with Steven. I think both were very well written. I actually think Rachel's were better written. I yeah. think in general, I think she had more packaged lines that I could see becoming quotes, which I think I said at the start here. And a lot of Danielle Smith's was just steamroll talking, going through these things. Are they factual? Sort of sometimes, sometimes not even at all, as we've already talked about. Other times, yes, very factual and showed a command of the facts, right? And um, and in general, Rachel Notley seemed a little bit more aware that these things might have to live on their own in isolation at some point. Although, to go back to style points here, she did need to just take a breath after them and let them be cut and let them breathe mm-hmm. and use silence as a note to say, the last thing I said is super fucking important. So stop and let that sink in for a minute. And in a way, it's a bit of a metaphor for one of the challenges the NDP campaign has, which is there are so many things to say, you never stop talking and you don't let the things land. And I get it and I feel that pain. But the other thing I would say is that Rachel Notley, more than Danielle Smith, fell into a a too technical voice, right? Yeah. And I, I, it's a curse of being a premier. There, You've got two premiers that are on that stage right there. But even when Rachel is talking about puff funding, yeah. right? This she never this explained is, it. Never explain mm-hmm. what puff funding is. And if you take the time to say, this is funding for children who need help the most. And tell that story. Right? Yeah. You tell that that story becomes so much more powerful, and um, and instead it was a it was a lot of like public service acronym style stuff from both candidates. They both fell into it at different points there, and the and the point that Carter made though has got to be underlined. Became technical, became a debate about facts. That story sticks with me. That story struck me as a parent. I could feel that story. Both candidates needed more of that. Four or five stories wins that debate. The hell, who, who, why didn't we tell a healthcare story? 
you know, Danielle Smith told the healthcare story. It wasn't a particularly good one with the uh, paramedics being able to, you know, dump and drive. Uh, the you know the but at least you know she made it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, like yes, but um, that's a story. It wasn't great, but where's where's um. You know, the story that Alison Redford used to tell about the family care clinics is the, the mom that would wake up at four, you know, four in the morning with a toddler that has a fever. And you know that you don't need to go to the emergency room or you don't want to go to the emergency room, but there's not a lot of resources. But that family care clinic that's going to open at 730 the next morning and welcome you in and answer your questions and be there for you. That's the difference between a healthcare system that cares and the healthcare system we have now. Right? She didn't, what, where the fuck is that story? Or some, you know, mm-hmm. any variant thereof, right? My friend who is waiting for the for their hip replacement. My friend, you know, all of us have friends that uh, are going through cancer, and you know, we are have going four, through four years of healthcare stories. Yeah, that. I mean, where the fuck yeah. were they? They weren't there, and why? Instead, we're talking bureaucratic ease. Like, that's not how you win debates. What 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 about the positioning? And I mean, we've talked about unique. It was two people, and and one of them was in power for four years, four yeah. years ago, and then another has been premier for what six, seven months. But do you, how do you think they were positioning each other? How do you think it came off to the audience in terms of? I saw someone um, commenting they felt like Smith was positioning herself as kind of like the challenger, so that she could more just call Rachel out on her record. Like, do you want to just speak to your thoughts on positioning? Well, for me, the positioning was uh, Smith saying, I don't have an actual record because I haven't been here long enough, but you do, and your record sucks. Um, that was the the subtext of so much of what Smith was talking about t- today. You know, like, your record was really horrible. I, I, when, I'm, when I've been premier for as long as you have, my record will be so much better. And she was kind of allowed to get away with that. Um, so that positioning of this upstart that that um doesn't have the history that 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 is is dogging um notley that that was good because it actually worked now again is it truthful not really but on the other hand she's only been there for a few months um but a few months still a premier makes so we're you're, you're she should have been more responsible also for kenny's fuck-ups um and you know she, she was allowed to slide on a lot of that yeah, you know, it's a really interesting thing for me because, in a way, both of the people on the stage were acting as though they were opposition leader, yeah. fighting against the record mm-hmm. of the other person. You, you didn't have a lot of standing up and saying, and I did this right by either side. And I both did yeah. at different points. Both said they were proud of it. But the main thrust for both of them was, you know, just summarized very simply, it's look at the four years of NDP government. You don't want that ignore my term that's been more recent look at the four years of the ndp government and then look at danielle smith's comments here and uh and that's that's a strange one for me so there's there's kind of this cliche in canadian politics paul wells rules for canadian politics you're familiar with these yeah you you tweeted them out today so i read them I did tweet yeah. them out today. So I read so your tweets. Based, thank you. <laughs> Just get alerts you know, every time Corey yeah. Hogan tweets. At, at, at Corey Hogan. Yeah. You know, Cor- the best in the business. Corey Hogan tweeted. That's really interesting. So one of the, you can go look at the four if you want on my feed, oh, but t- one of the four, the fourth is the guy who auditions for the role of opposition leader will get the job. And they're both auditioning for the role of opposition leader right now. So what happens there? Not really clear. And, um, we we have a very interesting debate 
in that uh, I think both of them are actually proud of their records. Don't misunderstand me here. But both feel that the most fruitful ground is taking the ground from out of the other person. And where does this end? Where does this go? It's going to end up with who we think actually did a worse job or could potentially do a worse job based on their record. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, this was not necessarily setting the stage for I will do better. This was setting the stage for you can't elect her. And mm-hmm. that's a that's a bold choice. It, it's a tricky choice to get through. And I am not sure that that in the long run serves uh, both of these candidates as well as it could. Well, I don't know if it serves either of them for different reasons, right? I think in the case of, of Rachel Notley and the NDP, the challenge becomes... Tell me the story about what the future looks like. Tell me about the future of Alberta. Right? This is this is kind of a long-term thing we've said. They have a story, but they've got, you know, there's a lot of other things going on. For Danielle Smith, her just attacking Rachel Notley and saying Rachel Notley's terrible, you gotta stop her, actually does nothing to share or to shore up Danielle Smith yeah. the day after the election. And if she's looking to keep the caucus knives from coming for her, she's not making any kind of case that she should stick around right now. She's making a case for why Rachel Notley should not be premier, not why Danielle Smith should be premier. And in fact, the NDP are making a pretty strong case why Danielle Smith should not be premier. That's a good point there, Corey. Carter, you mentioned you have a list of lies. Did you did you want to talk about it or you're good? No, I'm good. I mean, I think everybody has their own. We've covered it. I get really tired with the the Jugmeet Singh is your boss stuff. I get, I'm exhausted by, um, you know, the emissions cap is a production cap. Um, You know, I thought, uh, you know, grainy videos, um, you know, the NDP almost bankrupted the province. Uh, These things just kind of drive me a bit crazy because... I don't recall the the province being almost bankrupted. Like that didn't happen. Um, I'm fa- I pay attention fairly closely. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I would have noted. I think I would have gone. Wow, this isn't a great day. You know, the closest fin- financial the the closest financial disaster we had was when we had the the largest deficit in our history, and the UCP had that. So, you know, and, and again. That was right there for Rachel to punch back on. She was there I was too. I was going to say, when you put it like that, that's, <laughs> you know, the that's largest, a good line. The largest deficit ever in, in Alberta history was, was produced by your government, Danielle. And she then has to run away from Kenny, which she'll do, but put her in the place where she's running away from Kenny. That, that's great. But where you were, like, you didn't push back on that at all. She, you didn't push back on Jugmeet Singh being your boss. I mean, sure, she grinned and smiled and stuff, but that was bullshit. No one knows what that grin and smile meant. I mean, I didn't know. Yeah, she should have just said a number. 13, 14, yeah. lies. Yeah. No, I, you know, I think it's an interesting one. And I'll, I want to loop back to where I started, which is both of the parties have reasons to declare victory tonight. And it really does come down to how they manage it over the next couple of days now. So as much as we've deconstructed body language and answers we thought that were lacking, at the end of the day, this really was a debate where you could say there were two strong performers, which sometimes you get the opposite. You get two very weak performers. And that was not this debate. There is a lot of stuff around it that makes me say, what in the world are we doing here? But... Either of the parties, either of the parties could still spin this into a victory. Both of them have the wrong opponents to do so. And now we're going to learn a little bit about their organization. So, Can I talk just a smidge about the actual spin? 
because I think that yeah. the, 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 the NDP have the opportunity to spin for victory. The Wild Rose, or the Wild Rose, the UCP is spinning for defeat, right? The, the UCP is saying, uh, because the UCP is going to be caught in all of the lies and the media is going to be asking them different questions. So they don't actually get to spin themselves into the victory. The NDP, the UCP is going to be stuck uh, trying to defend what Danielle Smith said rather than actually getting to spin for their own victory. And so I I kind of, if, if the long weekend didn't start tomorrow, I would probably give this uh, the opportunity to spin a, a better outcome um, to the to our good friends in the NDP. But the, no. the long, the long oh. weekend does start tomorrow. So does it? Oh my does god! That change your answer. Well, I just don't think people. I mean, we covered this off on Friday. The does anyone episode. work Friday before a long weekend? Not I, I work, mean, I work. Do. But uh, I know, I know one of my colleagues who is going to work tomorrow, but then has booked a lunch uh, with a friend of his and a friend from Toronto, and then is planning to spend some other time, uh, kind of talking about you know the future and and kind of all these goals and stuff later that afternoon instead of going back to work. So I have a friend like that. I don't know if anybody else does. Corey, do you have anybody that you can think of that does stuff like that? Or No, all of my friends are hard workers. I just associate with a better cast of I characters. I guess you do. I, I guess you do. Yeah. yeah. I guess you do. Yeah. Yeah. But that that spin, like there there is a long weekend. What's what's the reality in terms of and I guess maybe TBD. You guys have talked for fifty minutes on thoughts here, but who 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 would you say won it right now? And I think if we revisit this question on Tuesday, who do you think has the momentum to, to spin it into a victory over the next few days? Well, I think this does go back to the expectation game. And I know an awful lot of people were watching it on both sides, waiting and wanting a knockout blow. And I think in particular... There were NDP supporters who thought, this is the moment. This is where it's all going to unravel for Danielle Smith. She's just going to be this you know, wreck of a human being, just falling apart under the hot lights. That was never going to happen. Danielle Smith is a stage performer. She knows how to hold herself together. That's just a reality of it here. But there's almost this letdown that you don't have the big dramatic moment. And in, a, in part, one of the reasons why people were conditioned to hope for and almost get to a point of expectation for the dramatic moment is... That is so much part of the story of Rachel Notley's rise in the first place. And we talked about this last mm-hmm. episode, but in 2015, you know, the the math is hard line, which is actually math is difficult, I'll, I will say as a pedant. Oh, and, uh, so and that was such <laughs> that that debate, that debate was a, an elevating moment um, for Rachel Notley. And it was a really consequential moment in politics. But think for your minute. How many hundreds or thousands of debates you have you have seen or seen pass by you in the decades that you've been alive? How many actually have moments like this? We talked about five yeah. last episode, right? Like the reality is the vast majority of debates don't have the knockout. The vast you're much more likely to have a debate that ends with people critiquing the format of the debate than saying, wow, that debate really changed things here. Can debates change things? You bet. We've seen it for sure. Did this one change things? I'm not so sure at this particular moment. I think if everything froze right now, I would give it to Danielle Smith because I think any day that Danielle Smith doesn't uh, or any moment where Danielle Smith is not like absolutely on the defensive, especially after the morning she had. <laughs> I with like the how you corrected the moment or day yeah. to moment because it what as you back to full circle, we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. It, it was a wild day. Well, given how wild this day started, 
and all of the things that happened today. And look, we talked obviously about the big one, the ethics commissioner. We grazed past the one about the UCP candidate that had to be dropped for her hateful comments. But there was also like the Canadian Ukrainian society. Yeah. Took exception to some of the comments that were made. Like there were a, a bunch of things that happened today of varying degrees of importance. And and at the end of the day, if if you look at all of that and then you see this debate and you think, well, it seemed fine for Danielle Smith. I mean, that's a contextual victory if there ever was one, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, truth of the matter is, uh, Smith Smith won, won the debate today. Will Smith still be winning the debate on Monday, Tuesday? I don't think so. I think that the spin on this and then the the challenges of what happened today are still yet to be reported. So all of the things that happened today are going to get tied up into the reporting of the debate. And there is no way that all those things don't color the outcome of the debate. So I think that by Tuesday, Wednesday, it looks like Notley won the debate. But realistically, and when when we start to rewrite this history, um, I hope that we're not saying, ooh, you know, Notley's the best debate performer in the history of mankind she wasn't in 2015 she wasn't in 2019 and she isn't in 2023 carter strategy wise how do you spin it over the coming over the coming days if let's say you were advising the ndp on okay this is what happened it's done now we've got kind of three four days long weekend people with family like what 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 is that messaging what is that strategy that you use over the coming days so that by tuesday um everyone thinks rachel nolly has won it i would probably do a little bit of uh self-deprecating spin and so self-deprecating spin in my mind is when you say uh you know rachel really did struggle under the weight of some of the of the just the sheer volume of lies that Danielle put forward. I mean, I guess she expected Danielle to to at least res- resort to some truth. Uh, so we struggled a bit with that. But as the fact checks come out over this weekend, and as the you know the especially on that uh, ethics commissioner report, I mean, we're really going to be seeing a whole bunch of change because people know that Danielle Smith, every word that came out of her mouth was a lie, and I think that that's ultimately. Um, the story that's going to be told, isn't that the story you're going to tell? I mean, that's, that seems to be the story that people want to hear is, is, you know, how, how, how come Danielle Smith could be so brazen in the lies that she told? And then you pivot that back so it can't be trusted sort of messaging. Absolutely. I mean, it's been your setup from the whole time. Yeah, I, I really want to underline that. The, the first thing to winning a debate after is to pick an angle and stick with it. Like, don't take this spaghetti approach of, well, maybe we'll say Rachel was the best. Maybe we'll say the problem was Danielle Smith was just able to lie. Well, because that doesn't really jive. So was she the best or did she lose because the person? Yeah. Like, you just got to sort of pick a lane. And so I think the angle of can't be trusted, that was a lie a minute, that was a wild time on a wild day is probably the NDP's best particular line. God, you could have a list of all of the lies as you see them. Like, I, I want to take a bit of a jaundiced look at this and say, there are some things that were outright lies. There were some things that are more natural, kind of conventional truth stretches. And by the way, it's not as though Rachel Notley didn't stretch the truth with things like about her platform costing, right? But the preponderance for sure was on the the misstatements and the mistruths being on the, on the UCP side. Yeah. So start with a list, create a pop-up video of the whole debate of, Here's another lie that she said, and here's the actual fact. Maybe that you release at some point on the weekend to share. Nobody's actually, 
Yeah, you know, he's actually going to spend a ton of time on it, but you could clip a few bits of it and put it out on social media here. Make the whole story about how, uh, you know, it was like, you know, it was two cameras. One was focused on reality and the other was focused on fantasy, you know? And, you know, it's just almost rose-tinted whenever it goes over to Daniel Smith. There's a way that you can build that out and just package that out and keep Daniel Smith on the defensive. And um, and for sure, say Rachel Notley presented a hopeful, honest vision about what the future of the province looks like. And Danielle Smith lied to you for an hour. And do you want to be lied to for four years? I mean, I mean, that's that's a very legitimate attack you could make. I, I love the pop up video thing. I mean, you could do it like in real time to start, right? And then you start just jumping to each yeah. lie. And as you go through and then at the end, the counter just breaks. And it goes to static. That'd be really fun. There you, should, go. you know what would be really good if we knew someone. We should listen communi- to you. We, if we knew someone in the NDP who was producing commercials, that would be really yeah. fun. We should call them. If if only if <laughs> yeah. if only you knew that. Well, hold on, because I do also want to say there's a UCP way to win the spin too. Yeah, like, tell let's us. not just sit yeah. here and talk about what the yeah, NDP. Let's do strategy do. for everyone. What should the UCP do? Of course. Well, the UCP just have to clip the things where Danielle Smith looks absolutely in command and contrast them with the with the various flubs of of uh, of Rachel Notley. Like it's it's actually not too hard. It's a more conventional way to do that, and you just flood the zone with as much of that as possible and have everybody say. Yeah, they won. Now, don't get me wrong. You're not going to get your KO there. You're not going to get a knockout punch. But if you combine that and you sustain that with people already sort of saying in the moment, Daniel Smith was the smooth deliverer and whatnot. The secret for both of these is to latch on to something that is organically floating to the top anyhow. And my personal favorite way to look at this is to see like the disappointed supporters. What are they saying on on your side, on their side? Use that. Like, use that as your attack. And I think disappointed supporters on the NDP are saying, oh, you know, Daniel Smith was just smoother than Rachel Notley. So use that if you're Daniel Smith. And the disappointed supporters, uh, maybe the disappointed supporters on the UCP aren't feeling the same thing. But there's opportunities there. As you well. know what I would do? I would just take her Alice. her 30-second answers and just do them all as clips. And then I, my spin would be, the person who has to attack the other person lost. When you've won, you just put up your own your own bits. Oh, and you know what? There's a gimmicks you could do there too. Like, I, I, if I were the UCP war room, I would put out a video saying we've we've clipped the best parts of the debate for Danielle Smith, and I would literally post the whole debate. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know that'd be fun. That's yeah. good. Jesus, yeah. you're okay. good. At you guys this. got you got lots lots Holy of ideas. Smokes. Lots of ideas for both sides. Uh, Corey, you look a little less confused than when we started talking about this an hour ago. Are you, or are you still? You're going to wait and see what uh, what's to come in the coming days. No, I mean I, I'm still confused. I I started texting people right after the debate who are only politics adjacent, being like, "What are you hearing? What are people in your circle saying?" And a lot of people were just like, "They're not watching it." That was kind of the fundamental kind of feedback I got. But I I really, you know, I think we all need to know our own limits. We need to know about uh, the biases that we carry into this, what we were expecting, how we read things, the knowledge we have, the knowledge we don't have as we're observing it all with a certain amount of humility and a full appreciation that if you are listening to this podcast, you were not the audience. Hang on a second. Right? <laughs> like, you said a word, just not. said a word that I was confused by. Humility? <laughs> yeah, it's, don't worry. I don't. I don't have the time well, to, to you, explain to I've you never the concept heard of humility. humility. I, I mean, we talked. We, <laughs> just ignoring um, you, Carter. Humility. We, t- 
We talked about stakes in the last episode and kind of like who uh, who watches debates and who who they matter for. And I guess in this case, I, do you want to just expand on that in the Calgary sense, right? Like, again, Battleground yeah. Calgary. We've seen all the national uh, people here this week focusing on Calgary, undecideds in Calgary, like suburbs in Calgary. How does this debate impact those folks? Well, okay. First of all, let's talk about what matters in terms of the election. It remains, as it has been since the start, persuadable voters in suburban Calgary. Mm -hmm. Full stop. That is what this election hinges on here. The audience of this debate will include some people who are persuadable voters from suburban Calgary. That's, that's a reality. Debates actually do still have pretty good viewership when you compare it to a lot of other things here. But by and large... Most of that group will not have watched the debate in any kind of meaningful way, right? If they're persuadable, they're probably not that partisan. That means they're not deeply invested in politics in in either kind of either flavor that we offer here in the province of Alberta. Sorry, Alberta Party, you are not a flavor of politics. They're not even vanilla? You don't even give them vanilla? We're talking about the Alberta Party again. We're doing it. Yeah, I'm not even giving them vanilla. But this is why the post-debate matters so much, too. Because it's about how that group who maybe didn't even watch the debate or maybe just watched it for 15 minutes and said, I got to I got to feed my kids. I got stuff to do. It's six o'clock. This is supper hour, right? It's the small bits that they captured. It's the way it's packaged. It's the way their peer groups are talking about the debate. It's the things they're seeing in the Calgary Herald. It's the things they're seeing on CTV. It's the things they're seeing on social media that will all kind of create a flavor of the debate. And there's a really fascinating phenomenon that you will note. Stephen has seen this too. Any party, anybody who's worked in a party which has polling as to who won the debate will see this. You will have, you'll do a poll. Did you watch the debate? What did you think of the debate? You will always have like five times as many people claim they watched the debate yeah. as, as you know, watch the debate and they all have opinions about it. And so those, the four times of the people who actually watched the debate, who are undecided, who are persuadable, In suburban Calgary, that's what matters. And you want to craft a view of the debate for them, even if they didn't watch a minute of it. Yeah. And the the other thing is, if you're doing three days of polling, if you're doing rolling polls, which a lot of them will be doing at this stage, um, you will see one response on the first night, another response on the second, and the third night will be different again. So this, it it really does evolve over time. Um, Yeah. It's it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And... Well, part of why it evolves so much in in our context in Alberta and Canada is we don't have, by and large, public dial groups like they do in the United mm-hmm. States. Like, in a sense, like when there's a presidential debate down there, the decision, like, it, I think it kind of ossifies a little faster because it just goes through the cycle so yeah. much quicker, right? Before you go to bed that night, you've seen how the dial groups react. So you know how, you know, the undecideds that were pulled together saw it. You see, you know... CNN will have their group of undecided voters. Who do you think won the debate? They'll put their hand up. Who do you think? Yeah, like you get all of that immediately in the United States and it flips through it quicker. And knowing that somebody won a debate will make you think they won the debate, right? Even if you didn't see it. And they're not even going to pay attention to it in the same way. Like some people might be just trying to figure out, should I take Port Adelaide or should I take Melbourne? 
And, you know, that will be <laughs> the piece that really dominates the way that they're thinking. And that's for me, for example, I've been really struggling with that. And by the way, yeah, I did choose. You got that in. I chose the power. You got that if you're in, wondering, Stephen Carter. If you're wondering. No one, no one is wondering. Guys, in, instead of, I'm not. Instead of lightning rounds, let's, uh, let's end with some closing remarks. Stephen oh. Carter, oh. what are your closing remarks on the debate? Um, I still struggle with debate processes that do not rely on some sort of agreed to facts, agreed to truths. Uh, when someone has decided that they're not going to speak with, to truth and instead are going to insert their own lies or their own alternative facts, it fundamentally changes the, the, the playing field for both of the debating partners. So in this particular case, the debating partnership wasn't even. It was not set up for both partners to come at the same task at the same time. And that requires that you think on your feet and you do a counterpunch uh, much faster than Rachel Notley did. Um, Danielle Smith should have been taken down a lot further and a lot faster by by only one person in this debate, and that is, the, that is Rachel Notley. Some people will look and say, well, we should have, you know, the moderator should have stepped in and all of that. That's just not true. Uh, Rachel Notley, if, if this debate does turn against Notley, it will be her issue. It will be her people... Her pe the people who prepared her, uh, and uh, that's going to be tough for them to, to stomach. If it goes back to Smith, um, then it's just the baggage that she's carrying with her. If, if Smith loses today, it's not about today. It's about the shit that happened before. Okay, Corey Hogan, closing remarks. You're up. Yeah, um, you can have good, quick, or cheap choose to. There's similar logic in a debate. Right. And one of the things Stephen talked about was Rachel Notley maybe responding more directly to the charges that were there. And she didn't, by and large. She just went to the lines that were clearly prepared. These were the messages she wanted to get out. That doesn't mean that was the wrong strategy. Stephen didn't get the responses he wanted, but I would argue they might have gotten the packaged clips that they wanted with the attacks on Danielle Smith. And the, you know, the, the standout line in many ways for me was was when uh, the comments that were made about like Danielle Smith arguing with herself, you know, frankly, it's exhausting, right? They, they, these were good lines and she did manage to get them out here. So you have to make those trade-offs in your debate prep. Do you want to be loose and nimble and just react to the, what the other person says? Well, there's a school of thought that says, no, then you lose the ability to control the agenda. And again, you're not playing for the audience in the room. You're playing for the audience at home. What does your research tell you they need to hear? I have no doubt just because of the way it was presented and the words I heard and how it was delivered, that the NDP had a very honed, very data-driven approach to making sure that the messages were put out that they wanted to put out. And, they, and probably they were assuming people would see this as much or more in packaging, at least the voters that they care about, those persuadable in suburban Calgary, as anything else here. So, like, don't be... Don't be... I guess I would say whether you support the UCP or you support the NDP and you're critiquing this performance, just remember that you don't have all of the data that they have and they're making decisions about the approaches that they want to take. And part of why the different campaigns start to feel good and they can both feel they want is they have different goals with the campaign. And we're going to see where everything lands. It's one of the interesting things about the debate. Like we, uh, we get to see parts of it. We get to participate in the aftermath. But, you know, there's there's a bigger game going on and the, the players know an awful lot about what's happening out there. The final thing I want to say is that, uh, you know, the power when their club was founded in 1870, they had an awful lot of spirit. They had that South Australian spirit. Yeah. 
And that's why you should have picked them. And it should never have been a question. You know, they have carried that to their core. The pies, they know where they're going. Pies are they know crushing what's this year. Crushing. Yeah. So, thank you, Corey. Really helpful. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1064 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Mm-hmm.